This is Citizen Reporter, the podcast that listens and learns about the world through many different topics. I'm sort of a, a renaissance person. Is that still a thing? Someone who's interested in many things? If you're interested in many different topics, then this is the right podcast for you. Certainly the right podcast for me. I'm Mark Fonseca Rendeiro, and at the close of last year, I know, I know, we're in 2018, but I have a few things that I never got to put out. I got busy. Life, life pulled me in so many directions, trying to survive. Um, let's call it survival, yes. At the end of last year, I spoke with Mike Spine, my friend, the great musician who occasionally finds himself in Amsterdam. And on this particular occasion that I had not yet published, Mike came to the kitchen table for a kitchen table conversation. These are also published on Reality's podcast, which I'm slowly pushing over here towards CTRP. So if you're subscribed here, you're going to get to hear all those interviews, including some that are yet unpublished. So here's Mike Spine at the kitchen table talking music, society, the life as we call it. Yeah, let's listen. <laughs> Hello, welcome to another live podcast, Realities. Uh, we're here in Amsterdam in the kitchen, at the kitchen table, and sitting right there, you can't miss him, that's Mike Spine. Hi, Mike. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so, Mike, you're, you're in town uh, at, at the end of a tour here. Yes, we just uh, finished up a little two-week tour playing a bunch of shows with our friends called Del Vox. Uh, they normally play as a full band, but they were just over as a duo. Yeah. With Barbara and I also touring as a duo. So it was nice, uh, nice to have some other Seattleites in town and be able to share, share a stage instead of having to sometimes play for three hours a night. Yeah. yeah. I also find there's that nice connection, or at least in my mind, between Seattle and Amsterdam. I don't know if it's musically or just in attitude wise. Yeah. I think there's, uh, you know, Within, I just the, realized I've within, never the, been within the context of the word liberal or progressive, oh. there's some, I would say, overlaps, you know, in terms of uh, political thoughts or, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, they're both hyper-capitalist Right, I was going to say, but, is that like the way they used to be, both but, of them? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you can, I guess you can smoke marijuana in both cities now. That's so, right. Yeah, Washington State is all, Washington, Oregon, California, I think most of the West Coast. Colorado. Colorado, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, yeah it, maybe Nevada. Have you been through, uh, well, you've been in, in Washington since the, the yes. change in policy. Yes. Yeah. But you're not, I mean, you spend more of your year in Italy? Yeah, Barbara's from Milan, um, yeah. and Italy has this wonderful thing called national health insurance. Well, uh, yeah. And <laughs> that's not, not currently available in the United States unless you are uh, rich or poor. Uh, no. So... Uh, yeah, it's it's uh it's easier for to be there re related to immigration and um, cost of living. Seattle's become extremely expensive, and uh, unless you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year, it's a pretty tough place to live. Yeah. So, and how does it feel in terms of? I mean, it's been a few years now, right? That, that, that you yeah, th I think around three years. Yeah. And how does it feel in terms of um, music? I mean. Everyone probably has heard something of like the Seattle scene and different scenes when it comes yeah. to music. But okay, there you are in Milan area. Yeah, we're in the Milan metropolitan area, which is a large, sprawling area. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, Italy's economy suffered after the uh, economic crisis, they like to call it, in 2008. Yeah. Um, and hasn't really rebounded in the way that I would say Germany's economy or Netherlands economy has. So um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of businesses that are struggling. Yeah. Uh, I think the tax structure is challenging. I think the income, um, there are definitely people in Milan who make a lot of money and, okay. it, and it's got wealth in it, but it has a pretty big divide between the, I would say the, you know, low-end workers and the high-end workers. So I think a lot of clubs are struggling there. Um, mm. 
but people are very passionate about music and there's some great music there. It's, um, I mean, throughout the country, I've been fortunate to travel um, all the way down to Sicily touring and yeah. we've met great people and great bands all along the way. So. Yeah. so in that sense, you're not losing out when it comes to, or you don't feel like you're losing out when it comes to uh, exposure to other musicians or audiences? Yeah, maybe a little. Um, what sense? I don't know if it's, you know, it's, uh, there are definitely bands that tour there, but I wouldn't say as many probably go through there as go through Seattle or Portland. Oh, right. Or, okay. You know, yeah. I mean, I get that feeling just in Amsterdam. I mean, lots of bands come through here, yeah. but compared to New York, sure. uh, it's, it's different. Yeah. Or, or what often happens on tours and you played a show two days ago at this point in, over the weekend in, uh, in Harlem, yeah. which is, uh, a lot of people still don't know about Harlem in the Netherlands. Very nice. I would recommend it's, it. It's a, yeah, I mean, no offense to Harlem, but it's a bedroom community yeah. <laughs> uh, for Amsterdam, although that's changing, right? Some people obviously work and live there, but it's just 10 minutes outside. So you played there. And I see often that um, what I, in my opinion, great musicians such as yourself will be in the country and even play shows, but it may not be in Amsterdam, actually. Yeah. For reasons that maybe I haven't really sat and thought about, uh, but simply that the connections don't come through the, op the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it may be with the density of uh, Amsterdam uh, challenges with space and noise, too, in terms of hmm. venues, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know the the venue scene well enough here to comment on it, but yeah. I think that's a, that's a problem in a lot of cities, especially cities that, that draw... Uh, a tourist crowd yeah. in that you know the neighbors are get pretty wary of always angry noise. my neighbors are <laughs> probably angry right now <laughs> we just hold it in that's also very uh, believe it or not uh, there's something very dutch about that or at least amsterdam about it like you hate on your neighbor but you may not say it this week or this month i see it comes out in weird ways eventually though right yeah, it's a passive aggressive. That's the okay. word I'm looking for. Hello, passive aggressives, <laughs> neighbors. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you get a mix actually in this town. You get the I'm, I'm going off on a tangent, but you get the you neighbors who uh, who. So uh, there was a great jazz club. It still is the Bim House. Okay, right. Bim House is a beautiful. Um, next time you come to town, we'll, we'll go. Great. Especially on a Tuesday night, they do. Um, and I know you were thinking of just lingering. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Uh, it's a conservatory night uh, oh. where the students from the conservatory can play, or nice. anyone. Anyone can just stroll up, play. Great. I have. And um, now it's in a beautiful location. It was specially designed in the early 2000s, okay. and it's on the water. It's it's there's no apartments next to it. Yeah. But uh, for many years, but several decades, it was right in a residential neighborhood, pretty near a Central Station. Right. And actually, that neighborhood wasn't even residential once upon a time. I think it was warehouses. Right. And I remember just learning the city and learning how things work here and going to that club and being so excited because it was a jazz club. It's it's the BIM house. It's where all the, even then, all the big jazz musicians would come and I'd get right. to see them. And um, But I, I also remember they had a problem, which was neighbors, as, as of a certain hour, would complain about a jazz club. Right. Uh, too many people hanging out, loud music, yeah. which is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. And sure enough, within a few years, uh, I mean, maybe the plan was long in the making, but that club moved. Right. You know, the people were more powerful than the club that had been there before the people. Right. I guess this yeah. is a standard story now in our world. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of condos being built in Seattle and neighborhoods that traditionally had very vibrant music scenes and bar scenes. And, you know, people don't like it when people get out of a club at two in the morning and, you know, are drunk and hollering and yeah but you know that then don't move into that neighborhood <laughs> right you know that's yeah. that's what the neighborhood is or was was right so. that's the thing it's what it was right so you you suddenly find yourself not in the position of power as i guess a, yeah. a club owner or a music lover i don't know uh but then again that said uh, i'm always i'm easily forgetting the fact that there are tons of people still who are very let it ride kind of right. attitude. Sure. Uh, my downstairs neighbor who probably hears me right now, um, <laughs> he, he, uh, he never complains about anything. And uh, there are a lot of parties over here in the yard. Okay. Well, there have been anyway. And I said to him the other day, like, oh, didn't that party the other day bother you? And he goes, nah, it's just people having a good time. Nice. You should join them. If you don't like it, you, maybe you'll like it better. Nice. And I was like, oh, I almost <laughs> forgot that was an attitude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like you can just 
soak it all in, enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so on this particular tour, there was the Netherlands. Yep, Germany. Germany. Um, and then we were going for six weeks back through Italy. Oh, okay, that's still to come. So yeah, this is the uh, northern climate. Yeah. Portion, and then we return back for slightly warmer weather for a little while. Right. What's yeah. left of summer has got to be down there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. So, so that'll be Italy, including southern Italy. Uh, we're still figuring out some of that. I think most of it is north central. Yeah. Right now. Okay. Um, yeah. Even in terms of music, I mean, I guess audiences, clubs, that all change as you move around. Yeah. Italy. Actually, in this is actually, I think, common throughout a lot of Europe. In the summertime, a lot of venues actually shut down unless they're very large venues. Okay. Because, like in in Berlin, they told us, you know, everybody wants to be outside as soon as the sun comes. Ah. Nobody wants to go sit in a smoky bar the way they would have done that in November when it was pouring rain. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think Italy's similar, you know, everybody goes to the beach in the summer. So... <laughs> People are people are fleeing the hot cities to go to the beach. So maybe maybe there's clubs that shift, and you know you have beach clubs that open for right, right, yeah, two or the three outdoor months. scene. Yeah, here it's the festivals. Right, all sure. about the festivals. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. Portugal too. Portugal gets really into the festivals. Although those festivals are massive commercial enterprises, so yeah. getting on a yeah a bill seems yeah difficult. yeah. We've I mean we've played a few, but uh, not the ones sponsored by Heineken. Not, no. <laughs> well, no. maybe they were, but not, you know, <laughs> not with 100,000 people, Adam. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking, actually, in Portugal, one of the largest festivals, I mean, there are, I guess, larger now, but it's still the um, the one run by the Communist Party. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's called Avant. Uh, and right. um, I never fully understood it. Nelson's there. Maybe Nelson knows. Um, <laughs> but um, it was a fundraiser, essentially, for the Communist sure. Party, which has and had uh, representation and it sure. ran certain municipalities. Yeah. So it's a legit party. But it was funny because out of all the political parties, I don't know that any was as famous for running a big-ass music festival. Yeah. Where I guess between like Metallica or whoever, I don't know if they ever got Metallica, but close, <laughs> close, I'm sure. Um, there, I guess there may have been a speech about workers' rights. Right. But uh, mostly the people that I knew that would go to that festival knew nothing of the Communist Party. Right. They were just like, yeah, good yeah. party. Good festival. Yeah, we we see festivals like that in Italy too. Yeah, the CP still has a strong presence in the music scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I guess you know the way things go in our world of main you know, retaining attention and uh, and getting getting people to listen. Uh, it's if it ever seemed weird, it, it seems less weird these days. Like any way you can to get people to hear you. Yeah. Uh, because nobody seems to hear anybody. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Being heard is such a difficult thing. In that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah. So those of, those of us just, uh, joining on the, uh, on the live stream, obviously it's another live podcast. Mike Spine is here. Wonderful musician. Uh, Barbara Luna is, is guarding the stuff somewhere, but she's also on yes. this tour. <laughs> and uh, I'll definitely get you guys both at the table ne next time and we can tell stories. She's actually deathly shy of interviews. So. I had a feeling. <laughs> yeah. She's like, Gringo, you go, you go talk. You go talk. I'm not going. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But, okay. But she would have liked to have said hi. Yeah. See, and see you. Yeah. Um, I was wondering <laughs> something like, so you and I, we often talk about teaching actually. Yes. Uh, so besides, you know, performing and, and touring, which is a big part of your existence, yep. especially the last, can I say 20 years? Yep, yeah, you can. I've heard about you those, can. those times. <laughs> yeah. um, actually, I started in the 90s for you, didn't it? Yeah, I think 95 was when I started playing in rock punk bands. Yeah. And at the same time, or around the same time, teaching uh, was yep. also a thing for you. I mean, yep. was that just a matter of, I need something that fits with playing music? How did that begin? Uh, I had always been pretty passionate about social change, mm -hmm. you know, um, social, economic, environmental kind of justice issues. And I was trying to find a way to be able to do that. Hmm. And make a living, you know, because uh, 
Actually, I, my undergraduate degree was in mass media and rhetoric. Oh, okay. So I wanted to right be, place. I, I wanted to be a uh, kind of make documentaries. You know. Yeah. Yeah, makes I sense. I mean, for a pop reference, Michael Moore style. Sure. You know, which was of, in the '90s, especially a very yeah. inspiring. Yeah, I yeah. haven't seen his work in a long time, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, but trying to be an independent filmmaker back in that era was uh, not a not a sustainable. Yeah. I mean, I met the guys that that made Manufacturing Consent, the uh, Noam Chomsky documentary, yeah, yeah. and because uh, I was a, I was very into his work and his you know analysis of media with Edward Herman, yeah, and um, and you know they were Canadian guys and they had gotten a bunch of money from the Canadian government to make huh. Manufacturing Consent, and you know it took years of their lives, and you know there the, there were U.S. filmmakers. I think it was a, a question answer, you know style yeah the thing that was going on and and uh and yeah they they were the americans were like well, we can't get any money to do this we can barely you know feed yeah. ourselves so i did some uh work around affordable housing i was living in portland at the time and i was um trying to get affordable housing built for low-income people and uh also or helped form a tenants union because uh oregon was and continues to be going through a rapid uh escalation of housing prices and mm -hmm. and so a lot of people were getting you know evicted by their landlords and there was no real way that um, tenants could advocate for themselves so we built a uh, tenants union first tenant union in Oregon wow and then I I liked I liked the work that I was doing but it was very isolated it was an office kind of right sitting okay. in, a, in there's a certain degree of admin yeah, a lot of, you know, I was doing meetings and organizing stuff, but then I was also uh, spending a lot of time at a computer in an office with mm -hmm. one other person or two other people. And it was not, it was not very uh, rewarding in a social interaction, humanistic sort of way. So I had a friend that was working at an alternative school for immigrant refugee dropout population, basically uh, kids that have been kicked out of or failed out of um, other schools in Portland. Mm -hmm. And, um, they were hiring a teacher assistant position and they hired me on. And at the time there were no regulations re related to, uh, to certification or anything mm -hmm. like that, uh, in the early nineties in the alternative schools. And so I was, I ended up teaching classes, even though I'd been hired as an assistant. So, um, it was a great school. I spent about five years there. I had a lot of autonomy. Yeah, um, that's key. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was tough, but, um, I felt like, you know, I was able to connect with the students and, mm -hmm. and have some meaningful and engaged, engaged learning stuff happening. Tried to do a lot of experiential education too, taking kids out. Um, and you had, yeah. And again, trips. with that autonomy, you could, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So, so that was great. Um, Let me put this but just a little closer. Yeah, sure. But, uh, but it was a challenge too, you know, mm -hmm. breaking up fights and oh, okay, and yeah. Uh, yeah. gunshots and you know things like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you have, I mean, you have people who are both very, very interested and, and engaged, and I suppose also people who have a lot of more things going on in their lives. And yeah, just dealing with the, you know, the nonsense of uh, gang wars and yes, who's got I mean, who's got blue and red on, and you know, this is one of those moments where if I go, yeah, I know. <laughs> It might not seem, but yeah, I am from Newark, but man, was our neighborhood nice yeah. <laughs> or people were nice to each other. I don't know. Anyway, but you know, the general story. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. uh it's uh, I think I do. Yeah. People, people fighting over neighborhoods where they don't own a brick of the block. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah. no, that's is, what humans do. We yeah. often <laughs> harm each other over very little, um, or at least in terms of the immediate stakes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And I left that position to move to New York City, and I was working in a uh, program called the New York City Teaching Fellows. Mm -hmm. And what they did was put uh, people who had little or no teaching experience into schools <laughs> uh, that were called hard-to-staff schools. So they oh. were basically schools where they couldn't get people to go or stay. Yeah. And so I ended up in the South Bronx in the poorest congressional most violent, poorest congressional district in the United States. And that was, uh, I was teaching seventh grade language arts, 
social studies sort of stuff. And uh, it was pretty, dif- pretty difficult. Seventh grade, so 13, 12? They were supposed yeah. to be about 13, but Life. I had 14 and 15-year-olds sure. that yeah. hadn't, they wouldn't pass out. Mm-hmm. If they couldn't pass the test, they wouldn't move them up out of the grade. So okay. I had, those were my, generally my most difficult students were the ones who were 15 and just waiting to turn 16 so they could drop out because the police would bring them back to school if they, you know, didn't come to school. Oh, right. It's yeah. 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 So. Truancy. Yeah. Uh-huh. And and around when was that, New York City? That was uh, my first week of teaching was when 9-11 happened. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, just to add, just yeah. to add to the excitement of an already challenging job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In the Bronx. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Sure. Yeah. So 2011. Mm. Or, yeah. No, sorry. No. What am I saying? 9-11. 2001. 2001. Yeah. 10 years off. Yeah. yeah sorry. Yeah. No, no. no. We, know, we know flies, what you mean. right? Yeah. 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 Uh, can you tweak my... Uh, I'm going to read some of the comments now. Now comes All the right. section of the show. Uh, or she, who's right around the corner. Right around the corner. Can you <laughs> tweak Mike's mic? Ah, yeah, we can tweak Mike's mic. Here's what I'm going to do, because we talk to each other. I'm going to move it towards where he projects his voice. Uh, and this is all going to work. All right. Yeah. Now I can and hide I'm, hide behind the microphone. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then earlier, Aaron had said hello to you. Uh, Aaron. Don't ask me for last names, because it's already scrolled down. So it's All history. right. Hello, Aaron. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I think it was Aaron. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else? We'll take your comments as we go. There's a couple of thumbs. I think that means something in this new language. Maybe that, maybe that means they can hear me now. Thumbs thumbs uh if you didn't hear anything of what mike said you can listen to the podcast uh which is in your uh podcast directory if you use podcasts at all and it's just called realities or you can write my name since we're friends probably it's mark fonseca rendero and you'll find the show or other shows but uh but mike spines here today and that's uh, um, a thing that only happens about once a year depending on the year yeah uh, you're threatening to be back in the spring I would like to be back in the spring. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. the goal is for the next Northern Europe tour to be in the spring. Yeah. And and by the way, so when it comes to to, to somewhat close the book on teaching, although yeah. is it really closed um, nowadays, do you still dabble anything in, in education? Mm, not uh, other than... Uh, <laughs> you, ever, you ever teach music? I have taught a little bit. Uh, of music. I'm not a formally trained mm. musician. That would have been the first question um, I should have put together. Yeah. yeah. I've done some songwriting workshop shops that I liked. I've taught guitar classes. Um, but I'm not, I'm not conservatory trained. Uh, so I, there, there are elements of music, which I can teach. And there are elements which uh, like music theory is not something that I love or, uh, care about. Yeah. So what, what did t- understanding that you weren't formally uh, educated in music, but w- who or what did you learn from? I think we're about to in- embark on a probably very yeah. long list, but I'll take your time, especially because you know I was just this morning I was listening to Tom Petty. Oh yes, and I was like, you know, how much did I learn from Tom Petty? Not yeah. just about music. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I started. I got a guitar from my uncle when I was eight. Mm-hmm. I took some very simple kind of folk guitar lessons at a music store for a couple of years. The music store. Um, yeah, yeah. I had to drive to the music store to take sure. <laughs> take lessons in the back room. Uh, his name was Big Al. Big, it was actually called Big Al's Music? No, it was, no. Uh, I think it was, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> it might have been called Kennelly Keys or something. I don't mm. remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was a small chain throughout Seattle. Still around, maybe. Yeah. Um, not where I live, but... Um, yeah, so I, I did that for a couple of years and then, uh, I got an electric guitar from my cousin. And so I started experimenting more with kind of rock bar chord sort of stuff. Uh, mostly just learning from friends and maybe I took one guitar class in high school. Yeah. But I, I was, I mean, the people who were, this was the era of Eddie Van Halen. Mm-hmm. You know, so Heard it was of. it was the guitar god sort of uh, era of how fast you can play and technical you can play, and uh, that wasn't really my thing. Oh, okay. I was know. wondering if you went in, down that road for a little while. No, no. Uh, I mean, you know, I I, I get by, but I'm mm-hmm. not. Uh, I will never be a uh, guitar legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
I kind of, I never, I couldn't compete with those people in high school. And it kind of got me, when I, t- when I got out of high school and I got to university, and especially when I was in Portland, um, I guess I discovered a band called F- Fugazi around when I was 18. Mm-hmm. And I really liked what they were doing because I'd grown up on the Dead Kennedys and some of this, you know, other punk earlier, Seven Seconds. And um, I liked how Fugazi was able to make intelligent political songs, mm. but also very intriguing music um, that was complicated and intricate, but not not in a, you know, technical virtuoso sort of way. It wasn't over your head yeah. or anyone's head. Perhaps. Yeah. 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 So, um, so, and I, and I, you know, I started going to punk shows and mm-hmm. house concerts and things that, you know, were pretty rare in the suburbs of Seattle when I was a teenager, you know, there would be, it'd be pretty rare if something like that happened. A scene started to flourish right, right as I graduated um, in terms of a kind of independent music venue that was doing a lot of interesting stuff. Is that mid nineties? I graduated high school in 1990. Yeah. So yeah, right after that. So, you know, it was, it was a vibrant time for music in Seattle and Portland and I think, you know, the whole West coast. And I mean, it was the kind of the explosion of, you know, Nirvana and all these Mm -hmm. bands in that similar kind of era who were taking elements of punk and mixing them with rock and pop and, you know, maybe, you know, taking the energy of the clash and maybe polishing it into a little different kind of song format or something that, Mm -hmm. that was catchy. So anyway, there was a lot of great, incredible music going on and, and I was watching the shows and I was like, ah, I can do this. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I, um, (laughs) I'd taken, I'd actually taken a two years of jazz guitar while I was in university in my last two years. And I was not proficient in jazz in any way, mm-hmm. but I learned how to make some different chords. And I, I, I guess the little bit I gained of, of my knowledge of music theory came probably in that era. Mm-hmm. So it's that, that useful knowledge that you then put together with all the other stuff that you pick yeah, up. Yeah. Yeah. It took me a while to kind of paste everything together. I mean, I didn't really. Yeah. I mean, for a while I was trying to make music that was overly complicated Sure. because I didn't want to just make bar chords. Be respected and such. I didn't want to just have the major minor chord. Okay. But the songwriting was suffering. So, so at some point I kind of, I had a friend who's a a poet, author, um, lives in Mexico now. He used to live in Seattle. And he said, you know, I like what you're doing but your songwriting needs to, you need more poetry, you know, kind of in your, mm-hmm. like you can have political content, but you need to do it in a smarter way. Right. And also the songs, I think, just needed to shift out of this, like, oh, I can play this fancy 13th chord. Yeah. But the average, the listener doesn't care if you're playing a 13th chord, they just care if the song is something they want to hum along with and mm. interest them, you know. Does it get them? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Through cactus at his baked in sun And vicious looking scorpions Vultures coast Pacific breeze Over hot and knotted trees Flying on their six foot wings Looking for a meal that's free gone to the 13th chords <laughs> but um we get a question from the audience here uh, uh mike can you explain the seattle freeze oh we have a seattle um that's, that's a he went we, to visit i think do we know patrick been, i definitely grew up with him in Union, okay. new jersey but he is a, a okay bi-coastal traveler all right so you never know the seattle freeze as it is known is um kind of the concept that people are cold in Seattle or oh. a, or at least um, maybe on the surface friendly, but there's kind of a, a wall that's oh, there. Yeah. But that's, I have to say that, that, that coming from my childhood, my experience in Seattle, uh, I never felt that. Yeah. So I don't know if that, 
I don't know if that is something that came more as tons of people started to move to Seattle in the 90s. Because in the 70s, um, you know, there was billboards up, like the last person out of Seattle, turn out the lights. (laughs) You know, it was... uh, (laughs) I might make that the album art for today's (laughs) podcast. (laughs) It was a depressed economy. um, And... I can change behavior. And, you know, as Microsoft grew and Seattle suddenly became on the map with the music scene, a lot of people moved to Seattle. And I don't know if that's, uh, I don't know if, um, when I think of myself, my friends, my family, I feel like there's not a freeze. Yeah. So I don't know where, exactly where that came from. Hmm. Yeah. No, yeah, he, he mentions uh, Patrick here responding. It was where you went on your honeymoon in May, Patrick. I, I do recall this conversation <laughs> that you were heading there. And he says that that's what they kept saying that uh, about that there was such a thing as a Seattle freeze. But every single person I met was super friendly. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's kind of how it works. I don't know. There, I would think also economics is an interesting factor, uh, history. But also, I think, you know, I'm going to go out on a strange limb, but temperature, um, you know, here, which if we can compare it due to rain um, and perhaps economic prosperity now, but Amsterdam has a, for visitors, still, we'll see what happens, but still a pretty positive uh, reputation in terms of, never mind what you can do here, that's plenty of things, but also that people are pretty friendly Yeah, when you need something or just... Hey, you know, yeah. I wouldn't say they're overly friendly. They're just, yeah. they're cool. They're adequately relaxed. friendly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but if you, if you linger here for any amount of time, you will encounter what you might call a freeze, which is that, um, at first it's hard to get into a circle of friends. Actually, okay. not just at first, maybe for quite a while. Yeah. They'll know you, but yeah. are you invited? I'm still never invited to, uh, <laughs> to, we have the, it's not Christmas. It's St. Nicholas or Sinterklaas. I'm never invited to Sinterklaas. That's a family thing. Oh, okay. Now, there are friends who do this together. Oh, I guess we did it once, dear friends. Uh, but um, it's pretty rare. And that tells me, well, at the very least, I don't have family in this country, right. which is a fact. Uh, but um, at the, on the other side, it's also the limitations of how much people can let you in or will let you in. Though I'm not staking everything on being part of this very irritating holiday where I have to write poems. <laughs> and then a small black man is paraded around still you know all that story anyway yeah i, d- I don't know that story oh, but no? uh it's you know of uh i mean i've santa seen santa claus has a slave but the dutch oh. insist it's not a slave how about that uh that's <laughs> that's the really that's challenging version. that's challenging yeah. yeah and they insist that it's just a person that's covered in soot and so people run around in black makeup on that holiday, yeah. which is coming up, which is coming up. So, but it's on the way out in terms of a practice, but there are lots of people that will defend it until the end and will get mad at the words I just used uh, because they'll insist there is no racism in this country and that is not a racist act. Sure. But there we come to something else, which is this whole how we see ourselves and, and believe ourselves right. to be good people. Therefore, we couldn't possibly do anything wrong. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. So Seattle. It's familiar. It's familiar. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah. uh, you know, as as someone who's spent a lot of time in public schools, in poor communities, working with people who are very oppressed, exploited, however you want to, you know, describe that, I think people, uh, people in Seattle sort of romanticize that it's a progressive liberal city. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And I think that maybe in a libertarian way, where it's like, okay, if you're gay and you want to have gay sex, that's okay, mm-hmm. right? Or if you want to smoke weed, you know, like, that's okay. Mm-hmm. But when you get into kind of deeper structural situations or institutional racism or, you know, it's it's a hyper-capitalist society there. It's, uh, um, you know, the developers and the corporations have total control of the the economy and, you know, there's... I think between 10 and 12,000 homeless people in Seattle now Mm. because people simply can't afford to live there. And it's one of the richest cities with some of the biggest corporations in the world there. You know, Amazon has, I think 30,000 employees, you know, now in Seattle and billions of dollars and they have very little social consciousness and are doing very little to assist in 
what I feel like they should be doing with the amount of money they have in terms of, you know, helping folks yeah. out. Yeah. Well, that's, that's also an interesting element of where not just the United States, uh, but where a lot of societies are going when, when the state sort of retreats from being active in certain areas yeah. of life. And then the corporation possibly steps in like when, I don't know, yeah. at one point, uh, we had bookstores, giant chain bookstores, and they were like the new libraries in the United States, at least in New Jersey, that's how it felt. Yeah. Borders and stuff like yeah, that. That yeah. was our library yeah. as kids. I mean, we had libraries, but most of us just went to borders all the time or, um, huh. we had Barnes and Noble. Now that's on the way out. Uh, I don't know what will happen, but well, there's the internet. There we go. Yeah. But, um, it's these elements of yeah if the state isn't doing it so if your if your city is not addressing the issue of homelessness then you may whether it's a good idea or not look to a corporation yeah um, well there, i mean there's also the tax structure that exists and mm. netherlands is part of that part of that from what i understand i mean mm -hmm. there's a couple countries in in uh in the region, which have very favorable tax status, uh, and corporations like Apple and Amazon, you know, put put a lot of money into places like Ireland where they're taxed at very low rates. And, you know, it's if if you're a Seattle company and you're making billions of dollars and your bread and butters, you know, came from Seattle, I think you have a moral ethical obligation to give back to your com community in very substantial ways, mm -hmm. you know? And, and if you're evading taxes, the state doesn't have, you know, yeah. it's, I mean, Washington ironically has one of the regressive, most regressive tax uh, structures, I think in the United States. Huh? So. I don't often hear about that, like regressive tax. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that. we have a, we have no income tax in the state uh and sales tax mm -hmm. so everything is funded off sales tax or property taxes which puts a unfair burden on you know if you're a, a millionaire and you buy a pizza mm -hmm. the sales tax you pay is a lot less of your income than if you pay if you make ten dollars an hour and you buy a pizza you know it's a, it's a higher percentage so it's a regressive tax yeah yeah I just got a lesson in regressive tax. Sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, so but so in terms of, um, you know, talking about places, we've, we've spoken a little bit about uh, Italy, uh, where you spend much of your year when you're not on the road. Um, I know you do visit the US. I mean, that's always going to be a part of your life, I'm sure. Yep. And um, well, Amsterdam, you always come through, I think. But um, try. But you know, it used to be that and I, and I was of this wave as well. Um, I think you and I both stopped living in the U.S. during the time of uh, George W. Bush. As yeah, that was my my first real opportunity to get out. Okay. Yeah, I I, I lived in London for six months mm -hmm. or Europe, mostly London, <laughs> but London Europe. Yeah, yeah. For about seven months. They used to not separate those two, <laughs> but we have to now, yes. um, I guess, legally. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I'll fix this part later. Right. <laughs> London is Europe, UK. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, um, yeah. And, and, you know, but the reason I bring this up is because back then it seemed like, oh, the US, you know, they sort of elected this guy and, sure. and now they're really angry because of uh, this terrible uh, tragedy and so now they're gonna you know they i say they right the, the government and the people who yeah. supported it enthusiastically uh they're gonna wage war and such and then it was like okay living in europe will be my um another way to live uh and and in some sense i won't be part of it although i, I don't know if i knew if i really believed that wasn't part of it but at least i wouldn't be there or whatever right all these years later, obviously, uh, two presidents, one president has come and gone. Yeah. And then Bush is also gone. Um, but we get this new president who is much not really new at all um, yeah. in, in most aspects, uh, although yeah. everyone likes to talk like it's the complete end of the world. But I find uh, something very familiar about this this particular man, perhaps because yeah. I grew up in his shadow in some ways. <laughs> um, but um, I, I feel like what we were... Uh, if I ever thought, and if you ever thought you were escaping, is not, there is no escape, really. I mean... No, no, no. And I, live. and, you know, I post a lot of pretty pictures on Facebook of places we travel. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I 
posted a very scenic picture of Harlem, uh, you know, when we, we were there. And yeah, it's beautiful. But I also saw a woman hogtied and sedated and dragged off by police because she was having some kind of a episode of uh, probably, I don't know, drugs, alcohol. Was some, that here? Something. That was in Harlem. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, right outside the club we played. Yeah, yeah. The mentally ill and the sick, the police really love to gang up on them. Yeah, I mean, the, I, <laughs> coming from the U.S., they actually, I thought they treated the situation fairly reasonably and calmly and, you know, no one was murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. <laughs> no one got shot. Achievement. Um, so, but, you know, I don't, I, I mean, people are like, oh, you're so lucky to, and I'm like, yes, I'm very fortunate to be able to do what I'm doing, but I don't romanticize anywhere, yeah. you know, or no. anything. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, you see my pretty pictures on Facebook, but, you know, you didn't see the six hour traffic and drive I had, you know, to get there and me peeing in a bottle because we didn't have time to stop, yeah. you know, the camper, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of amazing things going on in Europe and there's there's a lot of awful, yeah. terrible institutional problems and, uh, you know, the rise of the right in Europe is is yeah. pretty uh, and it's u- not ugly. <laughs> it's pretty ugly and it's, yeah, yeah it's, uh, I mean, you know, France and Le Pen, you've got stuff going on in Poland with a pretty terrible government there. Um, We're making a list. Hungary, put that yeah, on the list. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's... <laughs> Netherlands. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's nowhere to really, uh, there's nowhere to run. There's just, no. there's just different. I mean, maybe there never was, but l- I would say less so than ever before, uh, it feels like. You yeah. Know, but then you look at something like Las Vegas, mm-hmm. you know, and there's, ah. there's 58 people murdered at least mm-hmm. and, uh, 500 others, you know, mm-hmm. injured. And, you know, <laughs> having a debate with somebody who really believes kind of the propaganda put forth by the NRA about the second amendment um, Mm -hmm. is, you know, those, I don't think that's going to change people's there's, there's a core of people who will never Never. ever want to give up their guns. Mm-hmm. And they've they've bought into what I think is complete and total propaganda. And it's based off to their well being, <laughs> based off a two hundred and fifty year old, uh, you know, completely outdated concept mm-hmm. of uh, a well regulated militia, which you know, <laughs> well, the, the, a, a single person yeah. owning fifty assault rifles and going to a hotel tower and and uh, you know raining down on a parade has nothing to do with a well well regulated militia and that was also part of what was i my understanding was that was to help keep slave uh mm-hmm, s- mm-hmm. escape slaves round them up mm-hmm. blah 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 post yeah yeah anyway that's a different story lesson but yeah. you know there's there's certain things like that where it's you know prostitution mm-hmm. prostitution's never going to be pretty mm-hmm. right i think it's always a, a exploitive sort of i mean it's right people argue different ways but uh you know i think of most women who are working as prostitutes could make 50 or 100 euros an hour doing something else they probably would okay right but at least the netherlands deals with it in a way where um when you make it illegal like you have in the united states Mm -hmm. the susceptibility of women being abused on the streets in cars uh in situations like that i think is much mm-hmm. higher mm-hmm. so i'm not saying it's a you know the ultimate solution mm. but it's it, at least there's a mentality where okay we can have this you know underground economy right of marijuana uh prostitution or we can just try and deal with it in a reasonable way yeah in the and light. you have elements in the united states like the Christian right or whatever, who will just, they'll never look at anything in a way, which I feel is a logical way to look at things. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like, oh no, it's just, you know, we just have to ban it completely. Okay. Children skip stars
I was just um, I'm rewatching Narcos. Okay. Uh, have you? No. No. Uh, but you know what it's about. I, I yeah. Pablo Escobar. Yeah. And blah blah blah. Yeah. yeah. And um, you know a lot of it is, uh, although all entertaining, because that's part of it. But it's about a war on drugs and. Oh. How it had very little to do with uh, protecting your children. If, <laughs> really. If uh, any of you get a chance, the History Channel did a five-part series on the war on drugs. That is is pretty amazing. Yeah, and 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 the thing is, I thought that universally, because of facts, I know that facts doesn't mean anything anymore in terms of what's a fact, what isn't. Everyone has competing facts. I understand that, um, but I had thought that, especially, I don't know, between two thousand eight and and now, it had become clear. The evidence was overwhelming that what they called a war on drugs was well, nothing beneficial to actual humans. Yeah. Um, to a few, you know, whoever benefited in terms of selling arms or, or sure. money. Um, but it's interesting, of course, now you have not just a, a, a government, but you have people who like that government who they want to go back to that. They feel like for some reason... Jeff Sessions. That was of... a good time. <laughs> that was the right thing. A yeah. war on drugs is what we need to get back to. Yeah. And they, yeah, and they talk about it as people that have not learned or experienced anything. Um, but yeah. One could almost say it's more, more sinister than that. Right. They have because learned. Because <laughs> they, they, maybe they understand exactly what they're doing. And what they're doing is uh, continuing very discriminatory, mm -hmm. uh, for lack of a better word, racist policies. Mm -hmm. um, my, I mean, my understanding of the origins of the war on drugs are Nixon mm -hmm. trying to figure out how he could defeat the anti-war movement and the civil rights movement. So by criminalizing drugs, mm -hmm. it gave the police and the state the ability to infiltrate these organizations, repress them, split them up, put people in jail, and destroy the movements. And get popular support for it, because if you call somebody a drug addict, somehow universally, unless you're related to them, and even then, you're universally sort of, everyone's on your side, like, yeah. get them, yeah. get them, get them. They're going to hurt our children. Yeah. So we, yeah. So we, we have uh, a war on drugs where we treat people who are ill as criminals. Mm -hmm. But if we did the same thing with cancer, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, this person is, uh, is ill. Mm -hmm. You know, let's penalize them for being ill instead of helping them, mm -hmm. right? It's a, it's a mentality that is illogical to me. Yeah, and the results are evident, I mean, yeah. in terms of what you get. Yeah. See, this is an interview not just about music, <laughs> but it's about, you know, what you've seen, uh, including while you're on tour, but it can also be when you're not on tour, when you're at home observing yeah. the world because there are so many ways of observing the world these days yeah um and yeah. what you what you gather what you've learned uh, especially in these uh, what i would say are interesting years um living outside of the place where you were raised yeah yeah, yeah it's i mean i've been very fortunate to have the experiences that i've had uh traveling playing music teaching um and i try i've tried to take lessons away from all of those things to uh understand the world and you know i think of my songwriting too it's uh, you know i uh, i'm making observations or comments about a lot of the stuff that i've seen you know stu yeah. students workers you know uh, homeless people mm -hmm. veterans mm -hmm. etc yeah yeah all right well I, I, oh something that i did last night and we can see if i can incorporate it into the uh the program i brought my little experimental recorder uh. made by the nice people at mike me which is a little kickstarter project uh in austria Great. and uh it's really nice quality audio so i brought it along yesterday and i recorded some of the songs all right uh so i'll see if i can include them here if anything fails with the which not going to happen it's going to be great right. but i also can uh grab one off of um your one of your website latest album right yeah, yeah sure can, sure yeah um so i'd be very glad to share your music with the audience and Great. uh and mike Thanks. it's fun to get to share your your observations and thoughts with people and and to hear them myself here likewise in my home it's wonderful to be here <laughs> 
Yeah, and yeah. come on back in the spring. We'll um, we'll do more. Sounds great. And if you want to uh, check out any of the music, you can go to www.mikespine.com. There it is. Yeah. All right, good people. Uh, I'll take any last-minute questions as we wrap it up here. Seton says hello. Hey, Seton. And Great to see you last night. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, um, well, yeah. We'll read the comments. Mike will as well. He'll, he'll tolerate looking through Facebook for some. Sounds <laughs> if good. If you have any questions later. <laughs> and uh, for those of you who are going to be in Italy. Yeah, we're back in Milan, Italy on the 10th at Birificio Lambrate. How's your Italian? Terrible. Hmm. <laughs> Better than most, probably. <laughs> I like, uh, I learned Spanish before I learned Italian. So I always want to speak in Spanish when I'm supposed to be speaking in Italian. That's like... You know, it's an effort. It's, it's similar, but they're definitely two distinct languages. <laughs> so if you want to talk to Mike in Spanish, go for it. Hola. Good luck. <laughs> uh, that's it for today. We're out of here. Realities podcast. It's in all your podcast apps. And we will see Mike again. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Ciao. Cue the outro music. I'll, it, it, editing. Post. Post. Mark, I get a note from Glenn. Oh yeah, I included this audio that I uh, recorded at the venue where Mike Spine and Barbara Luna played on that fateful day in... uh, That was the end of 2017. Mike Spine will be around in the Netherlands again in just, I think, a matter of a month, a month's time. We are in February. Uh, So you may hear from him again, hopefully right back at my kitchen table. And for those who don't know, you can subscribe Citizen Reporter. It's in all the podcast apps. I think you can even tell Alexa to play it and she will. Oh, I said the name. You know what I mean. The device. Anyway, uh, that's it for today. I'll be back really soon because show 500 is straight ahead. (gasps) Show 500. Yeah, I'm thinking a lot about it. I'm hatching schemes that will be worthy of a show 500. And then again, trying not to overdo it because um, what's in a number? What's in a number? Show 500. So I hope you're subscribed. That way you get it automatically. Citizen Reporter. That's the name of the podcast and has been for many, many years. All right. All right. See you soon. (laughs) 